Hello, hello, children. Welcome to another fucking horror podcast. I'm Monique Sanchez. I'm Amy Trayton. Girl, how you doing? I'm fucking fantastic. How are you? Same, girl. Hell yes. Yeah. What's up? I am caught up. Well, I guess I'm caught up to where you currently are on Alan versus Pharaoh. Amazing. I didn't watch the latest. I didn't either. No. Real question. Hit me with it. Uh, no, I was going to be like, the real question is, do you want to get into that again? thousand percent. obviously we freaked out about it on the last episode a lot. I so. always want to get into it. Um, you were correct. The pattern in his movies is very problematic. Whoa. I did not realize because I haven't, haven't seen, seen fucking... a Woody Allen movie ever. Yeah. Literally ever. Period. So, yeah. And the whole, like, I didn't know about the Woody Allen papers. They're just like, he has a bunch of... Oh, yeah. Like... Things and then that he he's just written. donated to Yale, and there yeah. was like they just like keep a bunch. They're of... twenty, but like twenty's not like sexy enough. So let's make them seventeen. What? And just like the hypersexualizing of these young children. Girls. Yes, so that it's like it's not on them. It's not on the older men that they're with. Like these girls, they're are just Lolitas. For it. They're yeah. super sexy. They're just so in touch with their sexuality that you just can't resist. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Uh... It's so pedophile, grooming, yeah. gaslighting um, behavior. Yeah. So I I didn't realize. I cut Mia Farrow a lot of slack in this episode. I'm coming around. Yeah. I feel like I was a little harsh on her after watching the first episode. And I, I rescind that officially. But the thing is, I totally get people being harsh on her after the first episode. Because you're like, you literally had a... Because we know the end of the story. Yes. And we're like, you had a pedophile as your boyfriend. Like, even Dylan, sexual assault accusation aside. Yes. He married one of your adopted daughters. He had an affair and married one of your adopted daughters that he helped raise. Yes. Like, creepazoid. You found naked pictures of her... Right. That were taken at an indeterminate time in which she may or may not have actually been underage. Right. And because we're all coming from the standpoint of we know the end result of it. Yes. It's very easy to be super judgmental. Yes. And then to see this grown woman be like, well, I didn't believe it because he's my boyfriend and he loved me. And you're like, how fucking stupid are you? It's like, no, this bitch was getting fucking gaslit, like to the ends of the earth. Like, yes, I have never seen anyone get fucking gaslit as much as this. Like, 10,000%. That's what it is. Yes. So the thing that was very specifically of note to me in this, in the episode that we're both on, which yes, is episode two. episode two. And I can spoiler alert this, but also everything is Googleable. It's not like, what's yeah, the Game of Thrones finale? New like, information. It's, no. None of this is new information. So the episode ends with an on-screen text about a letter that Moses wrote to Woody. Being like, you're not my dad anymore. Fuck you. Essentially. Yes. So I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Let's give it a goog. Ooh, I did not give it a goog. Oh. Because I'm not done with the documentary yet. So I'm saving that for the end. Sure. Tell me everything, though. I'm here for it. So he Moses has recanted all of that. Yes. Which I was surprised because he seemed very adamant. That none of the accusations, not- that Dylan's accusations very specifically about what happened in the house, in the attic, are not true. That's what he said. That's what he recanted and yes. said? Okay. Because it just said the on-screen text that he recanted it. Yes. Like, period. It like, did not go into it. It just said what he said earlier in the oh, documentary. There the is episode. a whole blog post about this. <gasps> oh, shit. So I was like, okay, waters are muddied. Interesting. I'm intrigued. Okay. 
And then I did more of the deep diving in the Goog land. Yes. And Vanity Fair is doing like, I think it's eight bucks for the year to have unlimited access to their articles. And you absolutely should. It's literally a frappuccino and a half for the year. Like that's how much it costs to Vanity Fair, especially with their true crime stuff is so fucking on point and has been for 30 fucking years that I know of. So Vanity Fair has covered this whole saga from the fucking 90s. Oh shit, okay. So I was like, okay, now I don't know how to feel because Moses claims that this was all very staged and that it was a scorned woman who like her husband was fucking her adopted daughter and that it was like Sunni... Suni, sorry, that's uh, how Mia pronounces it. Suni, Suni was like dead to her, and that there was overt favoritism to the blonde hair, blue eyed children as opposed to the non Anglo children. Okay. And this whole thing, which is definitely possible. Sure. So I was like, waters are muddied. I don't know how to feel. One, we have Ronan Farrow, and two, we have Queen Carly Simon telling us what the fuck time it is. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, guys. So one of the, there's an article with Vanity Fair because I believe Dylan wrote of her experience in 2014. Okay. Which was around the time that Me Too started kind of coming into progress. Yeah. So this one Vanity Fair author was like, okay, there's a lot of misinformation that's been, that I've been seeing published about everything. So this is an article that are 10 undeniable facts about the case. Okay. All right. So it's some it's literally something like 10 facts about the Woody Allen Mia Farrow case or Mia, Woody Allen Dylan Farrow case on Vanity Fair. And Moses's recanting was brought up. Okay. And it's like sure he did that, but several adults who were there in a court of law contested what he said. Yes. And testified under oath. And testified oath. under oath. Yes. These th- things. That this happened. And it wasn't just some dude who's like, I'm going to write a blog post. Yes. And also, Moses at the time was how old at most? Like, he's a kid when it happened. Yeah, because I think he was 14 at the time that this happened. Yeah. And like I said, I read the blog post and I re- and he had maybe like an interview with people or something. And I read all of it and I was like, shit waters are muddied as i said in last episode but and then it's different to have like a he said she said and then having these people go on the record under penalty of perjury saying this is actually what happened yes and have multiple people say the same thing and multiple adults who were there say the same thing in a court of law. Yes. And like, that was their job. They were the babysitters. Like you're and completely focused on what you're fucking doing. Great you're not at it. Clearly. I didn't want to say this cause I don't want to blame anybody, but like, except literally that's your fucking job. And when they're like, if anyone is like, Woody and Dylan are not allowed to be alone together. Like, that child would literally have been on my fucking hip the whole time, and I literally would have just, like, been trying to wrangle the other kids while I held that child. And was like, no, 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 like, she stays with me. Like, we're good. I'm watching all these kids, but this one stays with me. Like 10,000 fucking percent. No. So. (sighs) And that there were multiple babysitters, because then it was the friend's kids Kids came over, and then the babysitter for that friend was like, yeah, this is super what the fuck happened. They yeah. disappeared for 20 fucking minutes. <sighs> Which is terrifying. Which, okay, look. 
I have nannied for many a child before. I have walked into a place with two children who immediately upon crossing the threshold decided they were going to Split run up. full speed in opposite directions. Of course. So I understand kids are erratic and unpredictable. And you and have you, fucking 15 of them. 15 of them fucking running around plus whatever the neighbor's kids. Like it's chaotic. It's confusing. I understand how that could like very quickly get out of your control, but... But also, when you walked into those nanny situations, you weren't told, this kid is not allowed to be alone. No. Which, and if, if you had, told I literally that, would have not leave that child alone. I would fucking yeah. make sure I had them in my sights at all times. Correct. So yeah, I had a hard time with that, but it was when I was like, I can't... I don't want to, like, blame anybody, again, Same, except for the perpetrator you, of this crime. Like, fuck. Of course. Exactly. Because ultimately, the person who is at fault is the perpetrator of the crime. Yes. But... If you're given a standing order, this person, and here's the thing, like, it's not, Woody isn't allowed with any of the children, alone with any of the children. Yeah. It's, Woody is specifically not allowed with, alone with Dylan. And from what it's, from what I understand, because everyone knew what the fuck was happening. Everyone knew that this was a super, at minimum, a super intense, uncomfortable relationship. Yes. So it's not like, gee, I wonder why. Like, I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. Because it wasn't, it didn't make it seem like they knew completely what was going on because it made it seem as though they hadn't really told the babysitters right, the that he's story. Right. But I was like, again, it's been a week since I watched this episode. So maybe I'm just mistaken on that. I don't think they get into it. They, just that they were specifically told, Woody is specifically not allowed alone with Dylan. With Dylan. Yes. Which obviously happened. When the, they obviously yeah, that happened. Which they did not, not abide by that. Obviously, unintentionally, I don't think anyone... Yes, of yes. course. I, I would not... Uh, no one in this podcast is assuming... No, no. ...that that was an intentional... No. An, ...an intentional nefarious type of like, No, of course thing. not. The whole... The, her shrink was just gone for the summer. I mean... He just, like, doesn't work the whole fucking summer. So you have a child that has, like, possibly been abused at this point, quote-unquote, possibly, because the... From my understanding, the fucking therapist is like, oh... We just like, this is how you show affection. It's like kind of weird, but just tell people that's how you show affection and it's totally fine. Yeah. I'm going to fuck off to the Cape. Goodbye. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like what? Uh, I mean, it was one of those, like, I gave props to Mia Farrow for like having the wherewithal to record yeah. Dylan during these times when she's saying all this shit, like right after it happened. But and, oh and my God. that she's also recording her phone calls with Woody. Yeah. Where he's fucking denying all of this fucking shit. But he's also kind of not. Yeah. He's also kind of like, like at least with, with the, the Sunni stuff. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. not at all. No, no, no. He's, yeah, making excuses for that, if anything. And just exactly. Like, but yeah. he's on the record saying like weird shit about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's fucking saying so much weird shit about yeah. fucking everything. And so in this article, which I'm sure they'll get into in the episode, in this article, uh, the Vanity Fair article, because if you remember, at some point there is a press conference that Woody had, I think it was at the plaza, to be like, okay. I've been accused of these crimes, and I was completely like, like a doctor examined the situation and was like, <sighs> no. I'm totally innocent of these crimes. And then you read that it's so fucking sketchy. And actually, it was not admissible in court, I believe. It wasn't because the judge was like, you didn't examine Dylan actually at any point. Said this to the therapist or? The what? doctor who was like examining her to see if she had been sexually assaulted never actually examined her. What? 
and was like, oh, well, she has difficulty differentiating between reality and fantasy because she would call Twilight the magic hour, which is... That's what it's known as. A thing. That's like a thing. That's well It's known. a thing. Exactly. And that she called these like wig, these um, styrofoam heads that had her mother's wigs in the attic a specific thing that like... And they're like, oh, well, she's like... She has a vivid imagination and can't differentiate between reality and her fantasy life, except those wigs existed. She just called them a thing that a seven-year-old would, would call, call them. them. Yeah. I used to call eggs over easy dippy eggs. That doesn't mean I didn't fucking know what the fuck eggs over easy was. Like, what? Exactly. Like, it's... Uh, the, the article is very, very telling, and I'm sure because there's two more episodes... I believe it's four episodes. Is I believe you're right. Alan versus Pharaoh. Yeah. So I'm sure they're going to get into it. Woody lost every single court case regarding this situation. Uh, I'm sure because, spoiler, he's guilty as fuck. He's guilty as fuck. The whole fucking situation is sketch. Oh, God. The thing that got me, too, was Mia Farrow brings the pictures that oh, she found in the hotel God, room yes. to the therapist and shows the therapist, like, look, we have a fucking problem. These are pictures of my possibly again this still was not determined underage daughter daughter and the therapist just like looks at them to the point that mia takes them away from him like why are you just staring at these fucking photos but the therapist gives some bullshit answer like that has nothing to do with you i don't remember what the answer was but it was the most bullshit therapy answer i've ever heard in my fucking life and i was like a hundred fucking percent excuse me yes he has pictures of my very likely underage daughter. Naked. Naked in compromising positions. She, she fucking, said that like you would not see in Playboy that was like too Very risque. much Hustler. Yes. Hustler, that's what it was. Yeah, she, yeah, exactly. Because she said it wasn't Playboy pictures, it was Hustler. Hustler. It's not tasteful. No. Nudes. No. Sketch as fuck. Sketch. I mean, obviously the fucking therapist was already sketchy as fuck, but like, no. Yeah. And then when they do the deep dive into like, basically every single movie has to do with him having a much, much older man having a romance with a much younger woman, including a 17-year-old girl with a man in his 40s. Yes! And that every other character is just cool with it because that's the most normal shit in the world. And they're fine. They're just talking about like, oh, she's so hot. She's so beautiful. Like, you're so lucky. Yeah. And the gross part being like, the 17-year-old like wanted to have a real, mature, serious relationship where she seriously dated him. And he was like, no, we're just like here to fuck. Like, I'm just a stop on this road of life and you'll find somebody else. Like, I'm just here for you to fuck temporarily. Like, Basically. Ew. And, ew. And then you find out that he did that in real life. Yes. With another, a 17-year-old. Yes, another one. Oh my God. Unrelated to him or any Or Mia or anybody. Kids. Yeah. To the point that she watched the movie and was like, oh my god, I'm his muse, this is about me. Yeah, because Mariel Hemingway, I believe is her name, is, is the actress who plays a 17-year-old in Manhattan. She's like, um, she looks exactly the fuck like, like me. Like me, yes! So clearly, and this is exactly what happened with us, so clearly this is about me. And she took it as a compliment, because she's like, I'm his muse, I'm Woody Allen's muse. And it's like, sweetheart, he was a predator, who groomed you and then used his predatory behavior to make a movie about. And, yes. And because everything is so bass backwards, you're taking this as a compliment. Yeah. Girl. Fuck, dude. Ugh. Yeah, it really, that, ugh, it really fucked with me mentally, honestly. The whole fucking thing. Yeah. 
I'm certain it's only going to get worse. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I feel gaslit by the end of the episode. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, this for sure. fucking bullshit. Yeah. I have to watch the new episode tonight, obviously. I mean, same. Obviously. Yeah. Again, the muggle job business got in the way. You know, reality. That old hat. Ugh. Ugh. Who needs it? <laughs> get out of here. It's fine. We're living in a simulation anyway. Exactly. There you go. Glitches in the Matrix. Hell. Was it Jenny, For real, right? Though, Jenny. Jenny Som. She knows. She fucking she knows. She walked through the Matrix. What else is going on? <laughs> nothing exciting. I honestly feel like I blinked and then like you were here again and just like nothing. That week went by like nothing. I felt the complete opposite. Really? Just dragged on for you? Yeah. So I'm very happy to be hey. here. I'm happy you're here always. Yay. Always. So I am very obsessed with the metrics of the show. You are. More so than me. I'm just like blinders on. Yeah. Because you're busy editing the show. (laughs) You're busy doing that. So whenever we get a new state or a new country, I I text Amy being like, we got, you know, Australia. Yay. And the thing is with the metrics, if you get more listeners, you know, it's a list. And then you get more listeners in a certain place, that country or city or, you know, state climbs up the ranks, right? So Ireland has been here for Monique and Amy. Apparently. That after North America, the majority of our listeners are in Ireland. Which I'm I'm here for that. I'm totally okay with that. Ten thousand fucking percent. Yeah. I love them and now I have certifiable metrics that they love us too. (laughs) Yes. So because of that we decided to do a themed episode. I know we love a theme. We love a theme. So we're just doing Irish tales today and they are and when we decided this we didn't realize that this was going to coincide essentially with saint patrick's day we did not that had nothing to do with this whatsoever it just happened to be the case yeah you you know that that's that is the correct choice yes yeah you told me like two days afterwards and i was like oh shit yeah yeah that's very true all right hey it's like look at us look at us planning things without planning things i love it it's uh, for shares, right? It's uh, that's a Yiddish term. Oh shit! Right? It means uh, I believe it's meant to be. I I don't know this Yiddish term, yeah. and I accept this. I love this. I've dated some chosen people in my you- time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have too, but clearly not that much. <laughs> it's like not to that extent, I guess. I mean, I went to school in Long Island. That's the extent of it. That's yeah. enough, really. That's it's all enough. You need. Yeah. yeah. But that was enough for me to, to catch uh, Brashert. I like that. Yeah. Hey. So it's Brashert that we have, uh, that we're doing an Ireland episode. And you're using Yiddish words. I and I'm using it. Yiddish yeah. words. <laughs> like, and it coincides it. with uh, St. Patrick's Day. Hey. So Amy, you got some, some spooky Irish tales? I have little spooky Irish tales. I'm into it. Oh my God, I'm so excited. First of all, though, Ireland, what the fuck is up with, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation of this, Sheila Nagy? Oh! <gasps> Have you heard of this? Did you encounter this when you were doing any of You did true crime, so I doubt you got into any sort of like weird. I remember the word. I don't remember anything associated with the word. This is not what my story has to do with, for the record. But this is completely unrelated to my story. This was just something I stumbled upon that I was like, I'm sorry. I want to say that it's an outlander, which is set in Scotland, not in Ireland. But, and it could be a completely different word and I'm just being an asshole about it. But it sounds very familiar that when you said it. Okay. If it is, I don't remember this being in Hit Outlander, me with it. but perhaps it is. So 
Sheila McGee's are figurative carvings of naked women displaying an exaggerated vulva. Oh, shit! And they are architectural grotesques found throughout most of Europe and the British islands on cathedrals, castles, and other buildings. Put that pussy on a pedestal. <laughs> Girl, you're oh my God. not ready for this. Like, no! The, oh my God, I'm so excited. Visual aids. <gasps> the picture that I came across is... I think it was another McGee then for Outlander because is, I mean I yeah. don't claim to know any sort of Gaelic, Gaelic or Irish ever. Yeah. So here's an example of one for you. Oh my! It's like that baby could just walk she, on right out of there. She is opening it up real, real. She's, nice. she's got two hands and she is just holding that bad boy open for you. This is on cathedrals. I just realized it's her hands. It's, it's her hands, hands open. Because I was like, there's grooves Holding? there. No. No, it's, it's like, she's like, got, can I take a peek? She's like, got that thing pried open for you. She sure does. Like, she's just like, hey, this is, what's up with me? I mean. Here you go. This is on cathedrals though. Like, that's what I don't understand. I might need more context for this. This I was alarmed. I was not aware. This does not seem like a religious, like religious iconography in any way, shape, or form. This seems a little obscene. I don't want to. It's a touch. It's a touch. Uh, I would say that. Again, also going back that I'm Cuban and super nudity repressed. So that's why I'm shocked. I'm I'm a bit shocked (laughs) and and into the obscene. I'm, I'm in the obscene camp. It seems like a drawing that like, Yes. Like a 10-year-old would do because yes. he thought he was like, he just found out about vaginas and he thought it, it was going to be really funny, funny and he was going to like draw a picture of a lady holding open her vagina. Like, yes. The the thing that I'm thinking of is <laughs> the Dave Matthews song, Crash Into Me. <laughs> no. There's a line that goes, hike up your skirt a little more and show your world to me. <laughs> Homegirl is That's showing what's everything. Happening right now. She sure is. We'll put it on the Instagram, but there's a lot emotionally happening. I can't. This is absolutely hustler and not Playboy. Yeah. This is what I'm gonna say. <laughs> facts. <laughs> Those are facts. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's a lot to have just like chilling on the outside of a church. Well, okay, opinion. so because th- I'm assuming this is a Wikipedia article that you pulled this from. Oh yeah, I don't think it's Wikipedia, but it's something I screenshotted. Oh no, it's yeah. um, no, it's ancientoriginsmagazine.com. There you go. So, uh, so there's a it's a screenshot. So there's a little bit of text on it. But so one of the interpretations it says here suggests that they have a protective function and they may be used to avert the evil eye and keep spirits evil spirits at bay. So like it's another evil eye, like being like right back at you. <laughs> like I'll show you my evil eye. I'll show like, you my fucking like- evil eye. <laughs> Um, want to come for me? Don't come for me. I don't know if that's the best euphemism for a vagina or the worst. Uh, I'm kind of here for it, though. I mean, Let same. Let me show you my evil eye. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't go on everyone's Tinder profile after this episode, oh I'm ending this goddamn podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that Looking so for Gemini <laughs> sent to walks on the beach that I can show my evil eye to. Hey, girl. How you doing? <laughs> This is a lot. Uh, yeah, it's a little much. It's a lot. So I would like people who are not nudity repressed to go on the Instagram and let us know if we're being weird about this. 
I don't think so. Is it just me? Yeah. Am I just being like a stupid American and I don't understand that how I don't like... think so. I think it's a lot. But I would love I would love your DMs and your input. I need to know. I wanna know. Yeah. And the story isn't even about this. She's no, just like unrelated. PS Ireland. This was just like a thing I stumbled across during my uh, BT dubs. Yeah, during my research that I was just like, this is this is weird and this is a lot. For the record, she's not an attractive woman. It's not like she has a long, flowing head of hair and some nice titties, and she's also flashing no, her badge. No, it's like a square. It's like a little, yeah, it's like it's a, a square little, person, but little bald, kind of asexual little creature. Except for her the, evil eye, <laughs> that she's just <laughs> gaping open <laughs> with her like clawing open I'm her vagina lips screaming to be oh my like god yes gaping open that is the correct there, the correct term unfortunately oh guys go on the instagram and let us know oh my I, god I need, we need you guys to see this because it's a <laughs> it's lot it's a lot it's a lot we're not even at the story yet. we're not even at the story <laughs> i will this will i'll I'll let... Thank you for that. You're welcome. I was like, I'll let it go now. I'm not going to let it become another hammock. I'll move on now. <laughs> just just to know, this is going to haunt my dreams. Um, We're all more enriched for learning that piece of information. There you go. Sheila McGee. There's a McGee thing in Outlander. There definitely is. I've... And it could be that, and they just... It could be they mention it as an evil eye thing. Oh, maybe. And not as, like, someone gaping their vag. Like, it literally... <laughs> Literally, it looks like ping pong balls are going to go out of there. It, it's obscene. Like, when it's you look at like it, the donkey vag, show material. The vag is as big as, like, her legs in the thing. Yeah. So, like, it's Go on the Instagram. We want to hear everything. It's, yeah. Yeah. Caricature-esque at this point. So, yeah. I was also going to shout out some quintessential horror from Ireland, which is basically Dracula. Fuck and yeah. the fact that the Headless Horseman myth that influenced Sleepy Hollow also came from Ireland, apparently. I did not know that. I did not know that either. I love I love the Headless Horseman. Right? Washington Irving, no? Yes. That's yeah. who wrote that. Yes. I love... The, Disney did a cartoon of it ages and ages ago that I love. Oh, shit, yeah. I love it so much. And it is my dream to go to Sleepy Hollow at some point, preferably in October, assuming it's not a shit show. Hell yes. That is so cool. I love that. Yeah. I thought so too. I did not know that. I did not realize. I don't know why I thought that was like an American thing, but clearly. I mean, same. Yeah. Well, since we're doing our Irish themed week and not only is it International Women's Month. Fuck yeah. It's technically, at the time we're recording this, International Women's Day. Yes. So, hey, today. Ladies. Ladies. Pew, pew, pew. Oh my god. I can't tell you how many times Johnny makes that noise to me. Are you and serious? Like, this has just been a thing in my life. Yes. He loves the brr 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 and yeah. I think the two times I have said it in the last two years have been on this podcast. Really? Yeah. I don't say it ever. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, I get it all the time. I'm sorry. You bring no, it out it's of people. Totally, it's totally, I do bring it out of people. It's totally <laughs> fine. So today we're going to learn about the often misunderstood screaming spirit the banshee. the banshee. Fuck yes! Okay. Fuck yes! Oh my god, I'm so here for this. I'm so fucking excited. Oh my god. Oh my okay. god, oh my god, oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. See, this is why I love Monique. Because like, whenever I do a story that I'm like, I don't know how this story is going to be received. I don't know, like, sometimes I won't be like as enthused for a story as I am about other ones. And then Monique's response like gets me fucking hyped about it. Like, we'll like 
completely restore my faith in my story, even if I'm doubting it in the moment. Guys, literally, it. as Amy was saying all of that, my hands have been Her in hands the are air up the whole time. Like I'm on a fucking <laughs> roller coaster. I'm so fucking excited. I can't even tell you. And then at the end of the story, I'm going to tell you why specifically there's like a a thing in my heart about this. I'm so excited. Of course you have a personal banshee story. It's not like like that. It's not like that. Okay. This Um, is what I'm dealing with people. (laughs) Monique is amazing. Literally. Yeah, it's still, has not been put down for one second. Like they're still raised. I cannot overstate how fucking excited I am for this story. Yes. All right. I'm so excited. Oh my God. So... I have so many fucking sources, but like, yeah, girl, that's just because again, like I just read so much and I had to put them all down. Oh my God. Uh, Wikipedia.com, encyclopedia.com, irishpost.com, irishtimes.com, the Monstrum series that I found on allarts.com that apparently you can stream other places, mysteriousuniverse.com, historicmysteries.com, clairelibrary.ie, transcelticcom newworldencyclopedia.org, mythology.net, and wired.com. Don't be daunted by all of those sources. Like I said, I just went above and beyond. I mean, I have 72 sources for everything. Yes. <laughs> I fine. thought she was being literal for a second. I was like, do you have 72 sources? But it's like, that's too many, Monique. That's at least too, too many. I think my story this week has the least amount of sources I've oh, ever had. Oh, shit. Okay. So you're picking up the slack. Okay, Thank you. I appreciate yes. you. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so in Irish folklore, a banshee is a female spirit that is linked to the realm of the dead. She is said to be a harbinger of death and will announce the death of a family member by wailing, shrieking, or keening, usually outside the home where the death was to take place. I am so, you, like, okay, guys, guys. She's, like, giddy right now. She's, like, smiling. She's, Smile like, bouncing. Ear yes. to ear. <laughs> I am so fucking here for this. I'm so excited. I'm single. Are you shocked? <laughs> I am. I'd date that. I'm Ayo. I mean, girl, same. <laughs> I know. If I didn't Literally, have a boyfriend. Johnny, after I met her, she was like, he, Johnny texted me and was like, you need to get your own fucking girlfriend. And I literally <laughs> text him, fight me for that bitch. Which was my favorite response that anyone could have possibly <laughs> given him. Because like no one else I know would have said that. Like amazing. I'm obsessed with you. Uh, obsessed with you. I am so here for this story. Oh my fucking God. I can't even handle it. Girl. Continue. I'm I so, know. I'm so obsessed. She's like restraining her banshee shriek right now. Enjoy. Yes. <laughs> If she was seen or heard, you would immediately pray for your family's safety as her arrival meant only one thing, that someone in your family would die very soon. Oftentimes, she is not seen, but only heard. So the term banshee comes from the old Irish term for a woman of the fairy mound. These mounds of earth called tumuli can be found dotting the Irish countryside and typically cover a grave or more than one grave. Mm. However, etymologists and folklorists agree that sea originally meant other world. So banshee actually translates to woman of the other world. Fuck yes. And in Celtic mythology, the other world is the home of the gods and the realm of the dead. It's described as a supernatural realm where there is everlasting youth, beauty, health, abundance, and joy, and where time moves differently than it does on Earth. Dude, sign me up. Right? I'm about that. (laughs) I mean, that sounds pretty tits. It is this connection to the other world and the association with death that has caused the Banshee to be mistakenly feared. The Banshee will usually appear in one of two forms, as a tall, thin, and beautiful young maiden, or as a withered, tiny crone with white hair. Regardless of the form, she is typically reported as being dressed in a gray or white cloak. 
She will have long flowing hair and her eyes will be red from her constant weeping. (gasps) I know. Poor baby. Jane Francesca Agnes, or Lady Wilde, and yes, that's the mother of Oscar Wilde, in case you were wondering. Fuck yeah! Had an intense interest in Irish folktales, which she helped amass and published in the book Ancient Legends of Ireland. In this book, she comments on the appearance of the Banshee. According to her, the size of the Banshee differs between regional accounts. Some have reported that she is unnaturally tall, up to eight feet, but a majority of the tales describe her as short, somewhere between one and four feet. Oh, shit! Which, like, that's a big range. I mean, yeah. Yeah. This unusually short height goes along with the description of her as an old woman, though Lady Wilde also notes that this may also... How many fucking old women do you know are foot tall? None. Literally zero. Yeah. Four feet, maybe. You've been been to, um... You've been in the Haunted Mansion, Disney World, right? Girl, yes. Uh, Right? Of course you have. Of course. Of course you have. You're amazing. Of course. The very last room in the Haunted Mansion, right before you, the, your little doom buggy, as it's called. <laughs> Is that what they call it? Doom buggy? Of course they do. I did not know there was a name for it, and my like heart is just like flush with joy right now. Absolutely. Oh. It's a doom buggy. Oh. Because it's perfection. I love that too much. So in the last room that you're in, right before you get into the room where you exit your doom buggy, there is this statue... That almost looks like the Virgin Mary. And she's like, hurry back. Yes. Hurry back. It's so creepy. And and she and she says some other shit about like, be sure to sign your death certificate or uh, some shit like that. That literally, I'm getting my chills just repeating this. So this when, when you're saying the foot, like this is what this is the image I have in my yeah, head. Yeah. Is this of that woman? That woman. And mm, I'm freaked the fuck that's out. That's actually probably accurate. And I'm here for it. Yes. She an old woman in this? No, she's young she's and beautiful, young? but very ominous. And because she's so young and beautiful, it's very creepy. Well, you know something tragic must have happened to her for he t- her to be in this ghostly form. 10,000 fucking percent. Oh my God. I'm there you go. This. There you go. Hands are on the cheeks. I'm so yeah, excited. You're so into it. Lady Wilde also notes that this may... This short height may also be intended to, quote, emphasize her state as a fairy creature. Okay. So maybe that was the reason for the one foot, because otherwise that's fucking crazy. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'd be scared of that. I think I'd just be like adorable. Like, oh my God, like she's so tiny and she's crying. But maybe that's why she's super ominous, because you're not afraid of her. Because you think you're like, I'm going to help you out. And it's like, bitch, I'm taking you to the underworld. Like, (laughs) yeah, by the way, BT dubs, you're going to die soon. Right meow. Right meow. So most of my research, the people who are dying don't usually see her. Okay. Do they hear her? Sometimes, but a okay. lot of the times it's you, if you hear it, if you see her and hear her, it is someone in your family it's someone else. that you know. Yes. Okay. Okay. So it's still creepy because you're like, fuck. It's somebody. Somebody in my family is going to die, okay. but usually it's not actually you. All of the chills. I'm so obsessed. So maybe, maybe it's a comforting in that way. So the Banshee is also sometimes known as the Hag of the Mist, which, rude. Absolutely. Yeah, how dare you. Show some fucking respect. Thank you. The Little Washerwoman. <laughs> I know, which sounds really cute. And the Hag of the Blackhead. Again, which can is we, hag can nonsense. Like, relax with the Hag. Yeah, not please? about it. She's like, I am a woman of substance. I have lived through a lot. Like, how dare you? You ma'am her. Thank God you. Damn God damn it. <laughs> This is the ma'am of blackhead, you son of a bitch. Fuck yeah. 
While seeming to be the most innocuous of her nicknames, she was apparently called the Little Washerwoman because there were stories of her being seen washing the bloodstains <gasps> from the clothes of the people who were about to die. Stop it! Oh Which, my like, god, I'm so obsessed with this, I can't handle it. That's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. And um, also, it's such a, like, cutesy name for something as ominous as fuck. Right? Also, oh, she's a washer woman. Like, <laughs> also, no offense, that's some passive aggressive shit I would do where I'd just be like, what? They'd be like, what are you doing? Be like, washing your blood stains yeah. after you die. Like, whoa, can you just settle down? You're just doing laundry. Right. It's like, that's a lot. It's like, no, you know what's happening. You, you know, know what's, what's in for you. Yeah. While banshees may seem terrifying and are more often than not portrayed as grotesque, angry spirits, mm. there's really no record of them being violent or even mischievous. Oh. Banshees are essentially just an omen, a premonition, and they always appear shortly before the death of someone in their designated family. They're just like, BT dubs, this is happening. Yeah, by the way, like, hey, I'm okay, here. Thanks, bye. Can you hear me screaming, crying? Like, you're so-and-so's about to die. Cool, I'm going to fuck off and wash some bloody tears. <laughs> washes bloody clothes which he's not gonna wash because he's gonna die apparently so he doesn't need them he doesn't need them it's fine in many ways the banshee is seen as a protector of the family and its noble land even a symbol of the family itself Mm. according to the 1888 book irish wonders by dr mcanally yeah according to him a banshee is really just a quote disembodied soul that of one who in life was strongly attached to the family or Mm. who had good reason to hate all of its members. Damn! So like, you better hope your banshees on your side. Am I going to be a banshee? Otherwise, you don't <laughs> fucked up. Right? No, I'm just kidding. Oh my god, I don't hate my family. <laughs> but maybe. I we'll mean, see. We'll see how the rest of the uh, how they treat you. So far, I, yeah. I feel there's worse ways to spend the afterlife. Right? I have never been like you, motherfucker. It's a yeah. lot for you. Bye. Bye. This one's dying. Hello. I mean, I would kind of super fucking love that. I was like, I mean, that's definitely the banshee type of banshee I would be. It would not be this like nice benevolent banshee that was like, oh, I'm sorry you're dying. I'm welcoming you to the other side. I'd be like, no. It's a wrap, bitch. (laughs) I'm going to scare your ass before you go. (laughs) Fuck you. The TikTok motherfucker time is up. Facts. For example, it's said that the Banshee of the family of the O'Briens of Thormund was originally a woman who had been seduced by one of the chiefs, <gasps> an act of indiscretion which ultimately brought about her death. Drama, drama, pink pajama. Yes. So in that case, she's like, fuck this whole fucking yeah, plan. I'm like, I you. am coming for you and I'm going to scream before any one of you dies just so that you know and you're terrified. I'm obsessed. Yes. I know that this is very low vibrational, but I'm fucking obsessed with this. Like, this is the goals of my life. Yes! And my afterlife. You gotta put it out there. It's coming back to you. There you go. If you will it, it is no dream. Yes! (laughs) Fuck yes. So it is said that when the Banshee loves those she calls, she appears in the form of a beautiful woman and sings a sweetly solemn song giving warning of the close proximity of the Angel of Death. Mm but with a tenderness that reassures the one destined to die and comforts the survivors. However, if during her lifetime, the Banshee was an enemy of the family, the cry is the scream of a fiend howling with demonic delight over the coming death agony of another of her foes. Fuck. Yeah. Yes. Which I'm here for. That's very clearly the type of Banshee I would be. I'm not above that in any way, shape or form. I mean, 
I try to be not that way, but it's kind of, I'm super. Let's be real, though. Like, I'm super turned on by this whole situation. Yes. I'm all the fuck about it. As you should be. I am too. <laughs> I love that you it. don't judge me. I'm obsessed uh, with you. No. Girl, I was like ready to murder people with candles like three episodes ago. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, no hesitation. <laughs> oh, man. Of course I would howl with demonic delight at the death of my enemies. Like, pfft. I feel like this yes. episode should be dedicated to Donna because she will very much <laughs> yes. viscerally Donna, I'm here for it. We're all here for it. Most of the accounts of a banshee scream that I read tended to be the howling with demonic delight variety. Fuck yeah. Supposedly, it can be heard for miles around and some stories have even described glass windows shattering <gasps> when hit by the high-pitched wail of the banshee yes. song. Yes. Which, resonance, like, Happens. You can break glass with your voice. That's not unknown. While you may think the Banshee is indiscriminate in her warnings, appearing to warn any and all who might suffer a loss in the family, that is apparently not the case. Banshees are supposedly only devoted to certain families, the quote-unquote ancient Celtic nobility. Oh! The Scottish novelist Sir Walter Scott said, quote, if I am rightly informed, the distinction of a banshee is only allowed to families of the pure Malaysian stock and okay. is never ascribed to any descendant of the proudest Norman or the boldest Saxon who followed the banner of Strongbow, much less to adventurers of later dates who have obtained settlements in the Green Isle, end quote. Okay. Which, as we get into in a bit, gets a little little tricky later once a lot of invading and... People intermixing of yes yeah people getting their fuck on yes monique monique that is what's here for the class <laughs> that is what's happening and that's what muddies the waters to My use another phrase is so proud of me that she <laughs> raised a classy lady let me fucking tell you <laughs> i would just like to say for the record i was such a goody two-shoes to the point that i can remember the first time i ever cursed because somebody made me do it at, on the school bus and literally like berated me into saying shit that's all they were ta- making me say it was like wasn't even fuck and I like wouldn't say it because I was too good of a kid that was the thing that the curses always flew for me oh. everything else I was I was very goody two shoes about but I, you know it, uh, fuck was a little excessive but yeah. shit, I, I dropped I, I threw shits around oh, definitely no. in my 10 11 12 oh shit no yeah I was very, I was the type that like when I actually did curse, like my friends would stop and be like, I'm sorry, did you just say what I think you just said? Did I hear that correctly? Like, yeah, I say things like, don't worry about it. And then there you go. years later, a and years later, friendship was formed. Another fucking horror podcast. That's extra hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. If you ever like. I was the crass piece of shit that came up with the name. No! Oh my god, I loved it. No, I curse so much now. I was also the person who, in high school, I petitioned my parents to let me start cursing because I thought it was appropriate. So I just, like, sat them down and was like, hi. Did you have pie charts? No, I should have. I was just very rational. I was like, I would like to start cursing. I think I'm old enough for it now. Like, That's hilarious. This is, you know, kind of how I'm feeling about it. And they were like, you know what? If it's used in a joking manner and it's funny and you never use it in anger towards us, sure, go for it. And I was like, that is a great rule and I love it. And I never did. I never like told them to go fuck themselves or I fucking hate you or none of that shit. Like I just was like, I'll slip fucking for a joke though because I know it's okay now. Hey-oh. You know, I am never amazed 
by the parent-child dynamics of white Americans. <laughs> this is not remotely what it this is, is to be a human, especially if you're a woman. All I get told is how unladylike I am and how uh, no one will ever marry me. And my mom has no idea the level with which I curse. Oh, I'm sure. My mother, my fi- my family is not aware that I have this podcast. And when the day comes that they find out that, one, I do have a podcast talking about murder and ghosts. And then when they find out that the name is another fucking horror podcast, <laughs> they're not going to be, they're like, not going to swell that's with funny. joy. No. You know? No. We're so proud of you. That's not happening for me. <laughs> Americans. I know. We're, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. We're wild. We're fucking wild. <laughs> Uh, I want my parents to look at me as equals and be like, okay. Yeah. Why? Sure. I just like I just sat down and had a rational conversation with you. Like, what is it? What is that like? What's that? how the what's other a half rational lives? conversation? <laughs> so yeah, it. I used to be a good kid. In case, in case anyone was wondering. So like I said, the five families that are typically mentioned are the O'Neills, the O'Briens, the O'Connors, the O'Grady's, and the Kavanaughs. Each family supposedly had its own banshee to warn them, or sometimes their servants, of an upcoming death. However, over many generations, these families blended or married outside their clan, and many believe that the banshee evolved to become an actual member of the majority of these noble Irish families and would follow them even if they emigrated to another country. Damn. Yeah. Which, like, I, is like, kind of comforting, I guess, but also, like, it's technically a spirit following you, which yeah. is like, a little creepy. I mean, but then I wonder if the if the Banshee's like, I've never been to Chicago. Like, hey, yeah. you going to New York? That seems fun. Let's cool. go to a party. Yeah. Hey, if anyone dies there, I'll let you know. <laughs> right. Hey. This blending of family bloodlines also may account for why Banshees have been reported by Normans, Saxons, and others not descended from quote-unquote pure Milesian stock. There is strong evidence that the origin of the Banshee was in the early 8th century, since there was an Irish tradition at the time that saw women lament the passing of a warrior or soldier with a mournful song. These women were reputedly given alcohol as a method of payment, but at the time, the Irish church considered this sinful in the eyes of God, and supposedly these women were punished for their activities by forever becoming Banshees. Even Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? So why were they punished? Because they were crying over and singing songs over... Fallen soldiers? Yes. But because they they would, in order to pay these women, they would give them alcohol. Oh, so, so they're going to become banshees because they, they had because, a snip of the nip? Yes, because they accepted alcohol as payment for crying over these soldiers. Get the fuck so the out church, of obviously, yes, decided these were then banshees forever. Well, I mean, I'm going to be the banshee queen of them all. Then. Right? <laughs> Cheers, bitch. <laughs> Cheers. Even the word keening itself comes from the Irish word meaning to cry or to weep. And beyond the story of banshees, keening is a traditional form of vocal lament for the dead in Ireland. It refers to the practice of crying and rocking and clapping over the body during a funeral procession. Clapping? Clapping, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Even in some of the stories of the, like, banshee screaming, they will hear clapping as well. Oh, shit. So I know. Because to me, typically, that's a very... Joyous. Joyous, thing. celebratory. So... Um, if any of you guys know what the fuck this is about, uh, let us know. Is Hit us up on the DMs. Sad clapping? Like, is this or a Just thing? explain what the clapping is. Just, like, another way to get your attention or something? That's what I took it as. It's just, like, another way to show how upset you are. But, again, clapping is so inherently joyful that to associate it with mourning is very odd to me. Yeah. Let us know. 
hit us up on Instagram, another fucking horror podcast, or hit us up on Gmail, another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com, period, instead of the you and fucking. We're curious. We want to yeah, know more. I, I'm very intrigued by this clapping situation. Yeah. So they would cry and rock and clap over the body during a funeral procession by one or sometimes several mourning women. Often, these women were hired for this exact purpose, and keening women were respected professionals and performers who guided mourners through grief with crying and singing. So this is, so there's like professional mourners. Professional mourners. For like, this is how you do it, guys. Yes, for like keening women, and you can literally like hire them to just like cry during your funeral procession. I would be so great at this. Would I you? Ha- oh my god. In case you don't remember, I cry all of the time. But like, uh, at the drop of a hat on cue, basically? No. Okay. No, but I have definitely gone to multiple funerals where I did not know the deceased and sobbed. Really? Because I'm an empath. Yeah. So I take everyone else's emotions. Onto yourself, yeah. And it's especially weird if you're, like it's happened to me at a couple of Irish funerals. Oh shit. And you're the banshee. And there's no keening happening here. Everyone is super repressed and they're like, I have the speech that I have prepared that I tell everyone who says, I'm sorry that this... This yeah. man never died, but it's all there and it's all bubbling right underneath the surface. And I feel all of it. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> I would, dude, I'd make a fucking killing as this keening Shit, woman. Shit, all right. Guys, are you hiring? I know, right? Girl, the best. let's go to Ireland. You can do this. I'd be the best. I'll, I'll do the clapping portion. I think I'll be good at that. <laughs> keening was seen as necessary for the dead to pass safely into the next world. Oh. Since keening women were paid professionals, there was a time when only wealthy members of society could afford to hire one, which included the old noble families. Ah. So it makes sense then that banshees came to be associated with the upper class. Sure. In Celtic mythology, the ancient battle goddess Katavadva, I hope I'm saying this right. It's a rad name. It's right? It's pretty dope. Is also known as Fadva. A variant of her name just so happens to be the southeastern Irish name for banshee. Badba was said to not only influence battles, but predict the deaths of notable warriors by a loud wailing cry. There are tales of battles being abandoned by soldiers because they heard wailing in the woods just before tussling with their enemies. Damn. Terrified by the thought of the Banshee signaling their impending death, they would flee. Fleeing soldiers would then be killed by their enemies, their own armies for desertion, or simply by the elements if they stayed in hiding for long enough. And with every soldier's death, the legend of the Banshee grew. Banshee legends began to become less common in the 16th and 17th centuries. And during this time, the British government was seizing Irish land. So it's been said that since English families who moved to Ireland didn't have the noble Irish ancestry that afforded them their own Banshee, the reports of Banshees diminished accordingly during that time. Apparently, it seems the rules for this would later become relaxed as the mingling of families occurred and English families became more entrenched in Irish history. Mm. One such story is told in a folklore survey of County Clare by Thomas Johnson Westrop. Despite his English roots, his family told of an encounter with a banshee. The Westrop family had been close to the Lewins at the time of the occurrence and heard the following story regarding the death of Mr. Ross Lewin. Apparently, in 1776, Mr. Lewin had gone to Dublin on business and was set to be gone for several days. One night, it says the young people, which I'm assuming is going to mean his, like, grown children who still live at home Uh and possibly, like, their friends or neighbors, Mm -hmm. went to a friend's house for the evening. 
The road they took passed by an old church in an open field, and on their way back, they were startled by a loud keening and wailing coming from the church ruins. All of them claimed they clearly saw a little old woman with long white hair and a black cloak running back and forth on the top of the side wall, clapping her hands and wailing. What the fuck? The young men left the girls together on the side of the road and got into position to watch each end of the building, while the rest of them entered and climbed up on the wall. The apparition vanished as they approached the church, and even after a careful search, nothing was ever found. The group was terrified and hurried home, only to find their mother even more upset when they got there. She told them she had been sitting in the window when a great raven flapped three times at the glass. While she told them the story, the bird again flew against the window. (gasps) A few days later, news arrived from Dublin that Ross Lewin had died suddenly on the very evening of the apparition and omen. Westrop noted, quote, It is curious that an English family, no matter how long settled in Ireland, should have acquired the ministration of a banshee, end quote. But he chalks this up to how long these English families have just been present in County Clare. In one of the most well-known reports of a banshee, in 1665, in her memoir, Anne, also known as Lady Fanshawe, described firsthand a banshee she had seen in 1642. Apparently, she had been staying with some of the O'Briens at the time and sleeping in a room in the castle that had a window that hung over the water at some height. In the middle of the night, she was awakened by a horrible scream and saw a girl outside the window. The apparition was, quote, pale, rather handsome, and with her reddish hair hanging disheveled over her shoulders, end quote. Mm. After an indeterminate amount of time, the unwelcome visitor and her shrieks disappeared. The next morning, Lady Fanshawe told the family what she had seen, to which her host replied, quote, A near relation of mine died last night in the castle, and before such an event happens, the female specter whom you have seen is always visible. End quote. Jaws on the floor. Oh my god. While the person had been sick, the family had not revealed this information to Lady Fanshawe, who had no knowledge of the illness and would not have known that the person was near death. According to her host, the spirit was that of the peasant wife of a former owner of the castle who was drowned in the moat by her (gasps) husband. Fuck! And is known to appear as an omen to his descendants. Crazy, right? Fun, unrelated fact. Lady Fanshawe also wrote recipe books, and she left the first known written recipe for ice cream, (gasps) which she called icy cream. Lady Fanshawe. Girl, delicious. Thank you. We salute you. Right? Irish hero right there. Goddamn right. In May 1318, despite not being one of the noble Celtic families, Richard de Clare, leader of the Normans, was marching to what he thought would be an easy victory over the Odeas of Dissert. The English came to a river when they saw, quote, a horrible bedlam washing armor and rich robes till the red gore churned and splashed through her hands, end quote. <gasps> Damn. Calling an Irish ally, question her, de Clare heard that the armor and the clothes were of the English and few would escape immolation. Damn! I know, right? Like, this bitch is not... That's intense as fuck. That's intense. She then went on to tell them, quote, I am the water doleful one. I lodge in the green fairy mounds of the land, but I am of the tribes of hell. Damn! Tither I invite you. Soon we shall be dwellers in one country. End quote. I mean, did that flood my basement right now? Right? I love like an old timey go fuck yourself. Yes. Like where you, it's classy as fuck. We don't say fuck, but like 
I reside in hell. Why don't you come join me? We'll dwell in hell together, bitch. I am so here for this. Right? Banshees are like the original boss bitch. Like that's what I've kind of determined from doing all this research is like they didn't give a fuck and they they'll tell it how it, yes, they will tell it how it is. I'm obsessed. The next day, Declare, his son, and nearly all of his English troops lay dead upon the fields. Fuck. It's like, hey little washerwoman, like, sorry, not so little anymore, right? Right. Just foretold the death of your whole fucking army. Happy International Women's Day. Right. Hey. <laughs> Smash the patriarchy. Smash the patriarchy. (laughs) Another well-known story of banshees, which if you look it up, generally there's like a little illustration of this one, which is the Bunworth Banshee. The story of the Reverend Charles Bunworth and the Banshee took place in County Cork, Ireland in the 18th century. The Reverend was a respected man in the area, so when he became ill, local people became concerned. A servant of the household reported to the Bunworth family that he had heard the wailing of a banshee. He described how the women had wailed and moaned and clapped her hands in despair, repeating the reverend's name. The family dismissed the talk of the servant as mere superstition since the reverend's health had appeared to be improving. Reverend Bunworth had been moved downstairs to sleep and outside his room, moaning and clapping was heard. When they went outside to investigate, it was found that a rose bush close to the window had been partially dislodged, but there was no sign that anyone had made the noises or dislodged the bush. Those who had remained inside said they once again heard the sound of moaning and clapping. As the night wore on, the reverend's health worsened, and by the time the dawn broke, he had died. As many said, had been predicted by the arrival of the banshee. According to Wired.com, however, there is a far more benign explanation for the haunting screams and ethereal white figure of the banshee. Mm -hmm. The most plausible culprit is the common barn owl. Their calls sound a lot like a high-pitched shriek, as you may remember from the movie My Cousin Vinny. Literally, it's the thing that ran through my head. Yes, because... Literally, it's a scream outside, and he runs outside with the gun and starts shooting everything because he's like, what the fuck fuck is happening? (laughs) Yeah. Which, like, I get it. I would do the same fucking thing. Yeah. If it's enough to scare fucking Vinny, who's like a fucking... If Joe Pesci's scared? Is scared, like, no. Terrifying. Thing is, no one died after the barn owl and my cousin Vinny. That is true. And they're dying... That is very true. ...in County Cork and shit. They are dying in County Cork and shit. Coincidence? (laughs) Monique does not believe in coincidence. I don't. So there you go. These banshees are going to fucking town. They are going to fucking town. The white underbelly of the barn owl may have also contributed to the, quote, figure in white portion of the banshee myth. In nature, the I'm barn- not here for this. You're not here for this. Uh, no, because uh, an owl is not... I know that owls tuck in their legs, that their legs are actually really long. They're really long, they're yeah. They're really long, but they're not eight feet long. And you can't confuse an owl with a woman. What kind of fucking women are you looking at? Ireland has very beautiful people. That's <laughs> very true. I think it, I would assume it's more of like if you see from like far, the, from far away in the, a white thing. Yeah, in the woods or something. Again, these are people who live in the woods, so they know what the fucking owl looks like. Not dissimilar to the cattle mutilations. These are farmers. They know what the fuck is weird and what isn't. Yes, I'm calling bullshit on the owl. The screaming, I can get it. 
but that they're confusing the owl with an apparition, I can't get on board with that. I, I tend to agree. Yeah. But apparently because their underbellies are white, unlike a lot of other birds, that is supposed to attribute to the things people see. Calling bullshit. I've come across a description of the banshee that claimed it has been seen, quote, flying past the moonlight, crying bitterly, end quote. And another that said she will, quote, vanish inside a cloud of smoke or mist if she believes anyone saw her. The only evidence that she was ever there is the sound of the flapping wings. Mm. End quote. Okay. Which makes the owl theory sound way more plausible, honestly. A lot of my sources, though, didn't really refer to any of the bird wing Because I have never heard about wings and flapping with a banshee. According to Monstrum, some banshees have the ability to turn into a crow. But again, that was the only resource I found that said that. Mm. Um, Thomas Westrop, who was the one we mentioned earlier, who wrote a folklore survey of County Clare and had the banshee story in his own family, claimed that over the years, his family has also had death warnings in the shape of a white owl and the headless coach. This bird last appeared, as it is said, before death in 1909, but it would be more convincing if it appeared at places where the white owl does not nest and fly out every night, which apparently barn owls are obviously very common in Ireland. Uh Uh-huh. Despite being relegated as just another page in Celtic folklore, you can still find instances of people reportedly hearing banshees to this day. To be fair, all the ones I could find were informally reported either in like true Irish ghost stories or like Mm. your ghost stories or people on Reddit, basically. Yeah. And they all sound roughly the same. There's strange wailing crying noises, eerie feelings, no one can figure out where the sound's coming from, and then bam, the next day someone they know dies. So if you believe this person is telling the truth, you'd also have to believe that they can perfectly distinguish the sound of a human scream from the screech of a barn owl. And they'd have to live in a place in which these owls were frequent. But yeah, and here's the thing, like I, if you have, if you live in a place where there's owls, I would imagine you just hear them all the time. So you know what an owl screeching sounds like. You'd think so. You'd like to hope so. I would think so. It is a very human sounding noise. I definitely get how you could hear it and think it was a person, but... I don't know. It, it I sounds definitely very... lived in rural places where you like you heard owls and you just were like, oh, that's an owl. Exactly. But right. I also was not like ever thinking like, oh, that could be a person screaming. I was just like, yeah, that's the owl screaming. <laughs> it could have been a person, I guess. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like these aren't like these aren't city folk who were like, let's go camping for the weekend. Oh my god, I heard a thing. It's a banshee. These are people who live amongst the owls. So I would imagine owl they people. know they're owl people. Yes. And that they would know. <laughs> they know. What the fucking owl sounds like. You would hope so. I would hope so. I would hope so. And I am going to give these people a lot more credit. I would personally like to give them a little more credit too. I would like to think that if you grew up somewhere where you heard owls your whole life, you would know like, oh, hey, this is a weird noise I haven't heard before. Not just like, oh, there's that fucking owl in the barn again. Like, 10,000 Son of a fucking bitch. Yes. I completely agree. Well, good. All the skeptics out there, you can believe that it's barn owls screaming into the night, but there's always the possibility that a banshee is just foretelling the death of someone close to you. So watch the fuck out. They're not scary though. They're just trying to like let you know and ease you into 
Like, I feel like they have this, like, scary, terrifying reputation of, like, they, like, scream before someone in your family dies, which, like, is scary, but they don't know how else to tell you. They're just like, hey. They're warning. I feel so terrible for you. This is going to happen to you soon. Like, I just want to express your pain before you even know you have pain yet. Yeah. Where do you fall in this camp? Uh, whether banshees are real? Yeah. I've never seen a banshee. I've never heard of banshees. That's I mean, fuck, me neither. I don't know. That's a weird one. Is it's it... like a spirit and it's very ethereal, but it's like so specific. She has so many specific things. Yeah. It, are you in the absolutely fucking not camp or like maybe? No, I'm not in the absolutely fucking not camp. Okay. I just want, like, I need somebody, if you have personal stories. Oh my God. Send me your personal stories. Cause oh my I God. need a like personal story of somebody who like, I don't be like, this I know, but like, 10, I, yeah, where I need somebody who's like genuinely convinced. Like I read a bunch of. Because I was going to include like a modern story with it, but it was one of those like, they all kind of sound the same and they all like are from sources I don't really trust. Trust. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just like people can say whatever they want to say and put it on Reddit. Yeah. So. Ireland. Tell us about your banshees. We are obsessed with you and the metrics show that you're obsessed with us. So you listen. If someone has a banshee story. Please, please, please write that shit in. It would make our lives. I want to know. Truly. Yes. And like, I really want to know, because this, this is where I had a problem with it. No one in the modern story, sure, people will go looking for the sound. But in any of the, like, no one the looks. old tales, no one can really say where the sound is coming from or if it really is just like, like, did they look all over the house? Did they look outside? Sure. Like, what was the extent of trying to, like, find this sound other than just, like... It's a banshee. We, yeah, we heard right. some crying. Yeah. That's fair. Like, maybe that's fucking Mary, and she's depressed, and she doesn't want to fucking be your servant anymore, and she's just, like, <laughs> crying in the cupboard. Like, you don't fucking <laughs> right. know. Right. So, yeah. I want to hear some crazy banshee stories before I fully decide it's barn owls. That story was amazing. There you go. Banshees. I'm so obsessed. I mean, it's not as good as the fucking lady holding her badge open for you, but I mean, hey. I don't think anything can top that. <laughs> Truly. I started with the best for a reason. Clearly. I was so obsessed with that story. I'm glad you liked it. Tell me your Thank banshee you so story. Much. So, because you believe in banshees. You do not think it's barn owls. I don't know. I don't know if I believe in banshees. So in, in case this is your first time listening, I'm Cuban. Which it might be. Hey. It might be. If you're jumping at the end, like, go for If it. you're almost 20 episodes in, you're like, yeah, bitch, we know. We're tired of hearing. <laughs> I oh, hear sorry, you. I see you. The Cuban one? Yeah. I see you and I hear you. And because I'm first generation American, meaning my parents were born in Cuba, there are several family members of mine that do not speak English, even though they live here. In Miami, specifically, where you don't really need you don't to really speak, speak English. Yeah. So my dad's mother is one of these people that she very much understands English and I suspect can speak it, but is very self-conscious about her accent or pronunciation. Okay. Because she watches American TV and films all of the time. With no subtitles. Yeah, no. Okay. So I remember once, it wasn't her apartment. I want to say it was my uncle's apartment, so her son. And, but she was there. And I want to say it was around St. Patrick's Day because I don't understand why this movie would be on otherwise. And there was this movie called Darby O'Gills and the Little People. Okay. It's a Disney film. I have never heard of it. live action. What? Because it's the most traumatizing thing fucking ever. It's so traumatizing. If anyone has seen this movie, please DM us. I need to hear your thoughts on this. And it's about this guy. And I remember he reminded me 
Darby reminded me a lot of my grandfather because he had white hair and blue eyes like my grandfather did. Sean Connery, a young, hot Sean Connery's oh. in this fucking movie. Okay. And Darby is just from, I haven't seen this movie in like, literally in like 30 years. And he is, he's kind of like, just like a working Irish dude, whatever. And he comes across this leprechaun. Okay. Who's like, hey, you found me. You get three wishes. But if you wish more than three, then you lose them all. So he starts wishing for shit and whatever, and blah, 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 blah. And it's kind of, if I'm remembering this correctly, it's very monkey paw-esque in like you wishing for a thing and it doesn't turn out the way and you want it And it fucks up your wish, yes. Right? And then you're like, oh shit. And I believe as the result of one of his wishes, his daughter, who is dating a young hot Sean Connery, the banshee calls for her. <gasps> oh shit. I literally just gave myself chills saying it. And it's not just a banshee. It is a ghostly carriage that shows up oh, damn. to pick her up to take her to the underworld. Oh, shit. No, she's like hands off. She just she just calls her shit out. Right. Yeah. And Darby's like, no, I'm going to take her place. Oh. So that's one of his wishes. He takes her place. And he's in the carriage. And, and then the little leprechaun shows up. And he's just kind of like, that's a bummer that this is how it turned out for you, right? He's like, yeah. And he's like, I bet you wish that... This just, you know, wouldn't have gone down this way. And he goes, yeah, I wish it didn't. And he's like, well, you wish more than three, so you lose them all. <gasps> so then it just goes back like the nothing beginning. happened. Oh! Spoiler. Hey! <laughs> this movie is like yeah, no. 50 years old. Yeah. It's definitely like in Technicolor. It's that. That's how old this fucking movie <laughs> okay. is. But it was my first experience of hearing of a banshee's existence. Yeah. And it traumatized me to no end because I was literally a child watching this. And everyone thought that this was just acceptable. So cute. You're like, no, I'm like haunted by banshees now. I think they're going to take me away to take me to my death. Yes. And I'm like 95% sure it was a Disney movie. Like 95% sure. Would not surprise me. Disney made some fucking weird movies back in the day. For sure. Darby, O'Gill, and the Little People... 1959. Oh, shit. Produced by Walt Disney Productions. Oh, shit. Traumatized the (laughs) fuck out of me. I know about Banshees, and I know about this ghostly horse and carriage that shows up to be like, you're up, bitch. Shit. Yeah. So not exactly a personal story, but just No, I enjoyed my... that, though. I like that. Okay, good. I'm glad. Girl, you were hyped about Banshees. Like, I'm fucking here for it. <laughs> I'm hyped. Are you kidding me? It's so funny because Amy's always concerned that her story is lame. I'm always so concerned. Literally, I overthink everything. Every single time we go to record, like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and I never know what the story is. And then she says it and I lose my goddamn mind. It's so true. You're so you're so wonderful for my my ego. And my, <laughs> you're welcome. My enthusiasm. I'm just, yes. You're you, lovely. You, you're lovely. And you just nail it on the fucking story. Oh, okay, yeah. I yeah. am not a nice person and I'm not a fake person. <laughs> That's very true. I don't think you would bullshit me. If it was bad, you'd be like, all right, we need to have a talk about your stories. Yes. That was cool. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> on to my story now. <laughs> I was obsessed with that story. Yay. Okay, good. I learned a lot about banshees. I did not know that much about banshees. I kind of just thought they were like scary screaming ghosts. I didn't realize they like were the harbingers of death and shit. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And I had decided that you were going to be doing a haunted castle because we talked about a haunted castle last time. So I'm like, okay, that's probably what it's going to be. I consider I consider doing so many things. I actually considered throwing everybody for a loop and doing a fucking Irish UFO story. So there you go. 
That might be coming soon. Apparently they had a good one recently. Oh, so shit. Yeah. No, I'm obsessed you did yeah. a Banshee. Yay! But then I was like, I... I was like, I want to do like a, a lady thing yes. too. And I wanted like a... <laughs> International Women's Day. International Women's Day. Banshees. hey As I've said, she's H-B-I-C. fucking... Yeah, she's a fucking bad bitch. I would not mess with her, so... I was completely obsessed with that story. Yay! I'm so glad. Thank you. So I'm much sure for I'm going to be obsessed with your story. So, are you ready to regale me with an Irish true crime story? I sure am. Fuck yes! So, full disclosure: this does not take place in Ireland. Okay, but it does involve an Irishman. That's all I need. I'm going to be telling you the story of Michael Malloy. Oh shit! Sources: History is now magazine.com. All that's interesting.com, irishcentral.com, and of course, Wikipedia. Michael Malloy was born in 1873 in County Donegal. Yeah, let's commit to that. In the northwest of Ireland. By the early 1920s, he had immigrated to New York, where he worked as a firefighter for a while. But after the Great Depression hit, Malloy found himself homeless, unemployed, and down on his luck. Like many people in his situation, He drowned his sorrows at the local speakeasy, and seeing as how Prohibition was still going on at the time, he often came across some unsavory characters. Oh, shit. By 1932, he became a regular at Tony Marino's bar in the Bronx, where Malloy would drink until he passed out, but often left his tab unpaid. Oh, fuck. Right? Fun fact about me. When I first moved to New York, I lived in the Bronx, and I lived in Woodlawn, which is... A very big Irish community. So, Shit. Yeah. Which Woodlawn is famous for its cemetery. Yes, you've told me that. I have not gone to Woodlawn. Very cool. Again, huge Irish community. I would literally like wake up and go to work and there would still be like old Irish men drinking outside the bars at like 7.30 in the morning. No joke. And they would like I'm literally obsessed. be like talking to you in such slurred. The brogue. Yes. That I, I literally it. would not be able to understand a single word, like literally not one word of what they were saying. And I'd just be like... I'm going to work. Like, I still need coffee. Like, you're drinking. We're on totally different levels. Like, I'm trying to catch a train. I have definitely have run into my bartender. Uh, in Hell's Kitchen, there's a lot of Irish bars, and it's a situation that oh, yeah. you have to be from Ireland to, to work, work there. To work in 100%. And so the place that I, my local watering hole is one of those places. And I have, on several occasions, run into my Irish bartender at seven in the morning, ah. him smoking outside of another <laughs> establishment, it. wasted. I love it. Of course. On my way to work. Because, like, they just got off of work. They're trying to relax. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Oh, my God. No, I love yeah. that. On a warm day in July, 1932, Malloy was drinking as usual, and Marino was complaining to his two friends, Francis Pasqua and Daniel Kreisberg, about Malloy's drinking debt, when the three got an idea to make some quick cash. Over the last year, the three had noticed that the Irishman would regularly visit the bar and drink himself to the point of passing out. That afternoon, the men observed Malloy slouched over his glass and mumbling to himself. He looked old, sick, and tired. And it seemed like he was not long for this world. So, how hard could it be to just give him a little bit of help along the way? Oh, shit. I'm gonna guess harder than they thought. That would be correct. Okay, hey! Spoiler! Yay! Sorry, ruining it. (laughs) You're not ruining it. (laughs) He was certainly someone who would not be missed. He had no friends or family to speak of and whose identity could easily be forged. With two more accomplices, Marino, Pasqua, and Kreisberg decided to take out several life insurance policies on him 
and help Malloy drink himself to death. This is an Irishman, though. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't know that you realize Marino what you got into. is not an Irish name. I'm going to go that it's Italian. Yeah. And they clearly don't know what the fuck time it is. I don't think they do. No. I don't think they know what they're up against right now. They clearly do not. <laughs> and neither do you if you do not know this story. <laughs> don't. I'm so fucking excited. <laughs> I was like, this is an Irish story about getting somebody to drink themselves to death. Like, yes. I mean... <laughs> Spoiler, I'm obsessed with this story. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Marino, the owner of the bar, had already pulled a similar con a year earlier. The 27-year-old had an eye for quick money-making schemes, and even though he was already raking in a considerable amount of money from his illegal alcohol operation, the year before, he befriended a homeless woman named Mabel Carson and convinced her to sign a $2,000 life insurance policy. Which, do you want to guess how much $2,000 in 1932 money is today? In 1932? Uh, 50000 How much is it? Close. $34,418.68. Hey. So not, not a sum to turn your nose at. No. So, of course, the insurance policy named him as the sole benefactor. Not long after, on a frigid night, Marino force-fed Mabel alcohol, <gasps> got her blind drunk, stripped off her clothing soaked the sheets and mattress with ice water, and pushed the bed beneath an open window. Oh, shit! Cold-blooded. No pun. For real! 10,000%. She died overnight, and the medical examiner listed the cause of death as bronchial pneumonia. God, you could just fucking get away with anything. Anything, dude. Like, the whole bed was wet. Who goes to sleep in a sopping wet bed in the cold under an open window? Yes, no questions were asked because it's 19-fucking-32. <laughs> Just click, checked accident in the fucking form and exactly. moved on. Yeah. it's This is the town in fucking Hot Fuzz where everyone's just having accidents. Yes. <laughs> so many accidents. Oh my God. And Marino collected his money without incident, leaving him to wonder, how many times can he get away with that? I mean, I'd probably wonder the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, dude, I even put my name on the fucking documents yeah. to get the money. Like, you fucking knew. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, the ever drunk Malloy seemed like an even easier target than Mabel. And soon a, quote, murder trust, end quote. <laughs> that sounds so nice, though. Right? <laughs> As the newspapers would later call them, was formed between Marino, Kreisberg, Pasqua, bartender Red Murphy, and petty criminals John McNally, Edward Tin Ear Smith, Tough Tony Bestone, and Joseph Maglione. It's the Bronx. Yeah, that's what I said. That, that, that pans. Yeah, that pans right. out. Murphy's job, the bartender, would be to identify the deceased Malloy as his next of kin, Nicholas Mellory, a fictitious person with three life insurance policies, each offering double indemnity, which is a clause in certain life insurance policies that doubles the payout in rare cases when the death is accidental. Yes. Okay. I believe it was also an Ashley, Ashley Judd, Judd movie. movie. Girl, one hundred percent right. Yes. Because yes. when I read that, I was like, mm, I definitely saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> this rings the bell. But I did it. But the movie did not do a great job of of explaining that to me because I still had to look up what double indemnity was. <laughs> I was just saying the same thing. I was like, I could literally tell you that Ashley Judd's in it, and that's it. That's so it. I couldn't have told you what a double indemnity was. There you go. Um. No, it's not double indemnity. It's double, double jeopardy. jeopardy? Jeopardy is. I was like, I don't know what Double Indemnity is. Double Indemnity is a movie from like the 50s. 
that I'm certain neither one of us saw. Because Ashley Judd was not in it. Do you know what's funny? I'm pretty sure that's actually one of Bridget's favorite movies. And she made me, she tried to get me to watch it one time. Double and Indemnity never, or Double Jeopardy? Double Indemnity. It's a black and white film, right? I believe so. I think so. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I fell asleep in it. I fall asleep in like 90% of movies, sure. to be honest. But I think, yeah. Double, Double Jeopardy. Indemnity. Because that was a huge deal of a movie that did not start Ashley Judd. Because I was like, no. Because I ran through the plot really quickly and I was like, no, this wasn't an insurance payout. This is about her husband, like, faking his own death and pinning it on her. And then, and her figuring it out. And then while she's in the clink, someone was like, just do your time, then fucking kill him afterwards because they can't do it. It's double jeopardy. They write, you already did your time. Yes. Not double indemnity. Yes. I'm nailing this story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, double indemnity is when... Again, to reiterate, is the clause in certain life insurance policies that doubles the payout in rare cases when the death is accidental. If the plan was successful, each member of the quote-unquote trust would receive a share of $3,576. Okay. Which, in today's money, would be $68,270.63 each. Damn. All right. Yeah. We're killing this one guy. It's a pretty fucking good deal. Yeah, they got three life insurance policies on them. Each of them have double indemnity and five people are in on this. Fuck yes. So, and they're each, and they're like, this guy's on the way out. We do this. We each get over 68 grand in today's money. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. But I also, totally would have joined a murder trust. Oh, <sighs> I hate that I'm that person, but I totally would have. Yeah. I get it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if I would have, but I get it. I super get people doing it though. <laughs> Conning Malloy into signing three insurance policies was easy enough. In December 1932, the men presented Malloy with some papers that they said would help get Marino elected to local office. Of course. Of course. And in return for his signature, Marino would give Malloy a free limitless open bar tab for the next several days. So a thrilled Malloy eagerly signed the papers, unaware that he had actually signed three life insurance policies on his life. One for Metropolitan Life and two from Prudential that named Marino, Pasqua, Kreisberg, and Joe Murphy as the benefactors in the case of his quote-unquote accidental death. The gang even provided Malloy with a crash pad in the back of the bar to sleep off his hangovers and realistically to make sure that they had a body when all was said and done. I mean, this was going to be the easiest fucking hit in the world. (laughs) The Irishman was in pretty bad shape to begin with and he was already on the way out. So Marino figured that by repeatedly filling his glass, Malloy would just drink himself to death. For the next three days, Malloy was given all the booze he wanted free of charge. And the gang was sure that it would tip him over the edge. But on the fourth morning, to their shock and annoyance, a very much alive Malloy breezed back into the bar in order to drink. I love this guy so much. You're not even ready. (sighs) I'm so obsessed. This continued into the new year. And no matter how much alcohol they gave Malloy, he'd always show up the next day alive and asking for more. Marino started growing impatient and even suggested that it would be easier to just shoot Malloy in the head. But obviously not wanting to attract any attention from the authorities and to help move things along, Joe Murphy suggested that Marino start replacing Malloy's normal drink with something a little more lethal. Oh, So Marino started to switch out his whiskey shots with antifreeze. Oh my god. Which apparently tastes sweet and does not. Yeah, it tastes like Gatorade. Yeah. But Malloy would continue to drink it with no problems. 
Ooh. Antifreeze was replaced with turpentine. I was gonna say that was gonna be my first guess. Fuck, dude. Ugh. Followed by horse liniment. And finally, rat poison was mixed in. They just did not give a fuck. They didn't give a fuck. And all of these mixtures failed to kill Malloy. Holy shit. Merino mixed shots of wood alcohol, which is methanol crudely distilled from wood. And wood alcohol is so strong that even just a small amount of it can cause blindness. And any more than that would certainly cause death. And in an era when it was not uncommon for people to die from poor quality alcohol because prohibition. Yeah. She was getting a bunch of shit people made in their house. Exactly. Murphy figured that no foul play would be suspected. So the gang agreed to go ahead with a plan. So Marina would wait until Malloy was drunk from shots of whiskey before making a switch to pure shots of 100% wood alcohol. He was oh. no longer mixing in antifreeze and other shit. This was he was just like, fuck straight it, up. we're going for the hard shit. Like, for sure. He, okay, is his liver amazing? Or is it like just so fried that, ugh. I, I don't know. But their mark just kept knocking him back <laughs> and ordering more, carrying on into the next day and the day after. Oh my god. One night, Malloy fell to the floor unconscious. They finally got him, but to the would-be murderer's dismay, Malloy began to snore. <laughs> he was like, that was enough for me. I'm going to sleep it off for a little bit. I'm going to boot and rally. And when he awoke several hours later, he asked for more booze. <gasps> <laughs> oh my God. Does he still have an open bar tab at this point too? Is he like absolutely. literally drinking them out of house and home? He absolutely has an open bar tab. Oh my God. The bartender is flipping the fuck out right now. Yes. And the insurance papers were signed in December and we're already into the next year. Holy shit, dude. And this is an open bar tab and this dude is not fucking dying. Oh my God. Astonished and pissed as fuck, the gang changed their tactic. The poison shots clearly weren't enough, so they decided to poison his food as well. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting from all sides, like wherever we can get it. This is a multiple pronged attack, Oh my God. Pasqua conceived of a plan to feed Malloy raw oysters that had been marinating in denatured alcohol, which is methylated spirits, to complement the lethal beverages, knowing that the mix of the two would surely poison him. One by one, he scarfed them down between shots of wood alcohol, with the murder trust waiting patiently for Malloy to keel over. But he didn't. He just belched and carried on drinking. Oh. My. God. Marino up the ante. He let an open tin of sardines rot for a few days, <gasps> then prepared a sandwich for Malloy, <gasps> seasoned with broken glass, oh shit, carpet tacks, and finely ground shavings from the sardine tin. They are not fucking around here. My jaw is dropped. I have no words. My hands are up. Like, what? The broken glass was horrifying enough. Like, they could have stopped there. Like, they put literal literal tacks in this sandwich? Apparently, yeah. Oh my god. Malloy, none the wiser, simply devoured the sandwiches, washing them down with wood alcohol, and happily <gasps> sat there asking for more. How? Girl, I don't fucking know. This man was something else. I don't... He's a superhero. Yeah. He's my hero. Shit. <laughs> the gang was getting desperate. Because in addition to the cost of the whiskey and the various industrial alcohols, they've been paying the insurance premiums (gasps) this entire fucking time. Oh, shit. And the costs were month after month, very rapidly adding up. 
the Irishman was drinking Tony Marino out of house and home, and <gasps> killing Malloy was becoming a very expensive enterprise. Holy fuck, dude. Right? I love this story so much. I love this fucking story. Oh my god, okay. February was now around the corner, which meant that the gang would have to pay yet another monthly installment towards the insurance plans. Hoping to get him before then, they took an inebriated Malloy to a snow-covered Crotona Park about half a mile away from Marino Speakeasy. They dumped him on a park bench, ripped open his clothes, and drenched him with five gallons of icy water. Jesus. Expecting him to die from exposure. But when the sun rose the next morning, Marino found Malloy in the basement of his speakeasy asking for another drink. <gasps> oh my god. Okay. The alcohol for sure kept him alive. It that has is to. the only reason he could have survived being that cold drenched in water. There's no other way. Absolutely. There had now been at least four attempts on Michael Malloy's life, and none of them had brought him even close to the brink of death. It was decided more brutal measures were required. The trust enlisted 23-year-old cab driver Hershey Green to run Malloy down in exchange for $150. Damn. Which is just over $3,000 today. One night, Pasqua and Murphy held a drunk Malloy upright who, because he literally couldn't even stand, stand up. Oh my god. On a side road while Green raced towards them. Just before Green reached the men, Pasqua and Murphy jumped out of the way and got up to see if the deed had finally been done. However... Malloy, who had been too drunk to stand just a few seconds earlier, managed to jump out of the way. Oh my god. I'm obsessed with this guy. This is the most ridiculous. I feel like in my head, it's playing out like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Basically. Like, that's what's happening right now. It's a Looney Tunes cartoon. The men immediately repeated the process. (laughs) Oh my god! They are like literally out of fucks. They're like, I I can't take this guy for one more fucking day. Like, this dude needs to die. But again... Malloy managed to jump out of the way. At their third attempt, Green finally hit Malloy at 45 miles an hour. Holy fuck. And if that wasn't enough, he backed over him. Damn. Okay. I mean, savage. Yeah. Because of the noise of the accident, obviously, someone fucking got hit with a car. Like, multiple times. Right. Yeah. This alerted some passersby, and the men got startled and ran away. And so they weren't able to make sure that he was dead. Okay. A week later, Murphy posed as Nicholas Mellory's brother, because remember that was the... Yeah, the fake name. The fake name. And called morgues and hospitals in the hope of hearing of Malloy's passing so that they could collect their money. But there was no sign of him. Nor the newspapers made any mention of a man being run down in the street. Then a few weeks later, a very heavily bandaged Michael Malloy (gasps) limped into his favorite speakeasy, declaring that he was desperate for a drink. Oh my god. He had no memory of the accident, and apart from a fractured skull and a broken shoulder, he was in good spirits. Jesus. Right? With February's insurance premium due, they considered hiring a professional hitman, but that was too expensive. Then they tried running another drunk down to cash in their insurance policies, but that drunk survived too. These people are just terrible. They're awful at this. What the hell? By now, the murder plot was not even going to make the gang a profit. They had already spent way too much money on paying for the insurance plan, on buying the wood alcohol, on giving Malloy free booze and the food, even if it was rotted. You still yeah, have to fucking pay for it. Yeah, the cab driver, all this shit. Exactly. And any money they did receive was going to have to be split five ways. Still, Malloy's ability to cheat death had infuriated them to the point that this was basically personal. 
and they were determined to 86 this dude strictly out of principle. I'd be like, no, we're fucking, we set out to kill you. We're fucking killing you. Why won't you fucking die? <laughs> Fuck you. It's the Austin Powers thing. <laughs> it's literally the Austin Powers thing. Michael Malloy was going to have to die if only so they could salvage some pride from the whole venture. Right? I don't want to see this guy in the fucking speakeasy every day after this, knowing, having my, like, failure in front of my fucking face drinking in the fucking bar. No. And he's drinking for free, and he's clearly not, like, having two and tapping out. No! He's going through all of it. Yes! One night in late February, the gang waited for Malloy to pass out and carried him to a rented tenement room near the bar. There, they put one end of a rubber tube from a gaslight into his mouth, wrapped a towel tightly around his face, and then poisoned him with carbon monoxide. And on February 21st, 1933, Michael Malloy, the Rasputin of the Bronx, finally expired. Wow. That's one of those where, like, it was not his time. It was not his fucking time. 10,000%. Very clearly. I read that it it was up to 20 times that they tried (gasps) to kill this dude. Oh my god. I don't try anything 20 times. Like, what? Right? Because it says it's technically listed as five attempts. Oh, but they're kind of trying to kill him every night when he's drinking, too. Yeah, and yeah. they're not counting, like, day after day after day that yeah. they're just poisoning him. They'll be like, well, that was the first chunk that we tried yeah. to kill him. So while articles will say it's five times, it's actually not. It's yeah. closer to 20. Pasqua paid off the coroner to list his cause of death as pneumonia and forged a death certificate in the name of Nicholas Mallory. The group was finally able to set about collecting the insurance money. They only received... which was just over a $16,000 payout from Metropolitan Life Insurance, which again, they had to split five ways in addition to covering the cost of the insurance premiums and the alcohol that they had been paying out of pocket for the last several months. But at least they got something. However, everything began to fall apart for the murder trust when they tried to collect the insurance money from Prudential Life Insurance because an employee at Prudential said that to legitimize the claim, they needed to see a body. A shocked Pasqua sheepishly replied that the body had already been buried, which aroused enough suspicion that the insurance company called the authorities. What? Yeah, this is... Shit, they take their shit seriously. Yeah, they're like, this is sketch as fuck. Yeah. So we're not going to pay you. Also, insurance companies don't want to pay you for anything. That's true. They want to keep their money. Exactly. During this time, Green, who was the cab driver, apparently was unhappy with his cut and started blabbing all over town. Well... To be fair, his cut was actually about what everybody else got after because it was only like 800 bucks and they paid him like 150. Yeah. Right? So he actually made out pretty well, but I get why he was pissed. For sure. And it's, you know, there's this saying that any venture that involves more than three people is ultimately doomed. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say two can keep a secret if one of them is dead, which... That's the other one. Yes. Both of those things are facts. Yes. Don't get involved with other people. Yeah. That's where <laughs> shit falls apart. Don't trust other people with your bullshit. Again, we're not teaching you how to commit crimes. (laughs) But just don't. We're just, we just happen to say some things. There's just patterns. You could take under advice. That show up. Yeah. That we notice. We're just pointing them out. Exactly. Humans look for patterns. It's natural. Right. Apparently, the NYPD had been hearing rumors about an iron mic from the previous weeks, and they quickly put everything together. In May 1933, Malloy's body was exhumed for proper testing. The phony death certificate said that Malloy had died from lobar pneumonia, but the subsequent autopsy proved otherwise and had shown that Malloy had been murdered. The police also discovered 
that a homeless woman had died in Marino's speakeasy under very suspicious circumstances, and that Marino was also the sole beneficiary of her life insurance policy. Oh, shit! Comes full circle, baby! Hell yes! It wasn't long before there was enough evidence to arrest Marino, Pasqua, Kreisberg, Murphy, and Green for the murder of Michael Malloy, with the press dubbing the men the Murder Trust. Tough Tony Bestone and Joseph Maglioni weren't arrested in the case because in a separate incident, Tough Tony was shot dead and Joseph Maglione was charged with his murder. Oh, shit. So. Okay. Well, they just resolved that themselves then. Exactly. There you go. Stand up dudes. When the group appeared at the Bronx County Courthouse, they first tried to plead insanity. Uh, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Dude, you've been planning this for like fucking months. What are you talking about? You and had you to kept bring insurance doing companies into this and shit. Like, exactly. come on. Go fuck yourself. But when that didn't work, they tried to implicate each other in the murder. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Spider-Man movie. It's literally <laughs> that. It's literally that. Finally settling on accusing Bastone, who was already fucking dead, of Malloy's murder. Guess what? Their bullshit didn't work, and in the summer of 1934, four of the five men of the murder trust, who all pointed the finger at each other during their trial, were each convicted of murder and sentenced to death. That's kind of what you... Death seems a little harsh, but I... I don't think so. I mean, they did they they plan to kill a guy. Yeah. It's not they planned it, because you can they plan were, it, and then it works out, and you're like, fuck, maybe I shouldn't do this. They kept trying for, for months. months. That's very true. All right. Give him the chair. Death it is. On June 7th, 1934, Pasqua, Marino, and Kreisberg were all executed on the same day via the electric chair at Sing Sing. Damn. Yep. With Murphy meeting the same fate on July 5th, 1934. Hershey Green, the cab driver who ran down Malloy three fucking times. (laughs) Oh my God. This is what I'm fucking saying. This is insane. It's like a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. Like reverse to like, even you're like the body hit the car and stuff like, oh, it's so traumatizing. I don't want that. Oh my God. I know. No. Hershey Green was the only member of the murder trust to escape execution and was convicted of attempted murder and sentenced to a minimum of 10 years in prison, which I think is is kind of light, personally. Okay. And Dr. Manzella, the crooked doctor who forged the death certificate, was held as an accessory after the fact with a $10,000 bail. Michael Malloy was not only known for being the most stubborn murder victim, (laughs) his murder case was also one of the first to be investigated by the New York City Medical Examiner's Office. Oh, shit. Right? That's amazing. History. Yeah, I love that. Tom Daly of historiesnowmagazine.com wrote, quote, Not much is known about Michael Malloy. Nothing is known about his family, his exact age when he died is not known, and he would have been just another anonymous alcoholic in New York if it hadn't been for a murder plot against him and his bizarre ability to survive it. All that is known about him is that he used to be a fireman, he was very fond of a drink, and he absolutely earned the nickname Iron Mike. Yeah! And that is the story of... Fucking legend, Holy Michael Malloy. Shit, right? Legend, fucking All legend. Capitals, bold. Like, He's like, oh my god, my hero. He's Is that fucked up? That not, I no, I'm okay with that. He's like inhuman in a way. Like that just doesn't seem physically possible for a human body to fucking withstand. But I mean, the human body is capable of withstanding fucking crazy shit. People have fucking lived with 
like nails and fucking oh for sure shit in their head fucking axe and stuff so wikipedia has a thing about the possibilities of why he survived drinking the different things okay so for instance with the antifreeze it says a possible explanation for the antifreeze not killing him is the fact that ethanol blocks absorption of ethylene glycol in the liver okay and is used as an antidote for antifreeze poisoning and then, so antifreeze was replaced with turpentine, horse liniment, and then finally rat poison was mixed in. After these mixtures failed, they, they escalated to pure shots of wood alcohol. And this presumably didn't kill Malloy because of the normal liquor would help negate the methanol poisoning. Okay. That's what Wikipedia had to say about it. Okay. But, you know, I had heard... Of the concept of an iron constitution. Yeah. But this is next fucking level. Yeah. It really is. I can't even fucking fat. Like wood alcohol. Like ugh. Oh my God. Just and eating the tax. Like never once he bite down fuck? on one and be like, what the fuck is this in my fucking sandwich? I'm my sure he was rotten, like, cool, it's free. Sandwich. Ugh. And it's that thing when you drink a certain amount, it kind of oversaturates your palate that nothing tastes like anything anymore. So they could literally switch out your drink and you're not even going to fucking notice it. Yeah. It's also, if it's not a drink where you're sipping and savoring it, if you're just tossing them back one by one, you're not really like tasting them. You're not really aware of it. Yeah. Holy fuck, dude. Right? Definitely the alcohol is what saved him from freezing to death that night. I mean, I think so. Yeah. That's like the chef in Titanic. Yeah, and actually totally could have helped with him getting hit by the car and not really like being that injured from getting hit by the car. Yeah, because he was loosey-goosey. Yeah, I would say a lot of times drunk drivers survive the accident and the person they flighted with didn't is because they are relaxed when it happens and the other person, if they're sober, is typically not because you're reacting to it. Yeah, you hear about that with like babies who fall really long, really far depths. That's right. Heights? Heights. Yeah, Yeah. heights is right. Uh, Because they're babies. They could be going in the water, I guess. I mean, baby Jessica. Down the well. Down the well. Oh, no. He's doing great, though. She's good, yeah. She's not a baby anymore. No, she's not. (laughs) She's a a full-grown woman. Goddamn right. Happy International International (laughs) Women's Day, guys. What's great is that this is coming out a week after that, and it would have been great if we would have put together that International Women's Day was... It's the month, though. It is, oh, it's the month? It's the whole month, and but today's, today's the day. specifically also the day. So it's cool. the day of the month, but the whole month is, yes, international. We get a month, you guys. Hey, guys. Happy International Women's Day. Thanks. And also, we're fucking obsessed with Ireland and all yes. things Irish. I loved your story so much, I can't even my Thank you. I also feel that I should share the one little bit of Irish slang that I picked up, which is, what's the crack? What is that? Crack is spelled C-R-A-I-C, and it's just like, what's up? What's the happening? I what's love going it. on? I'm obsessed. And yeah, it's like, what's the crack? I'm obsessed. Yeah. So I learned that when I lived in Woodlawn, in my little Irish neighborhood. That was a fucking amazing story, though. Like, Thank I want to be you. like Iron Mike. Like, mm. Right? You know how in... In the 90s, 80s, 90s, I was like, I want to be like Mike. Yeah. I want to be like this Mike. I want to be like Iron Mike. I want to be able to fucking eat a broken glass sandwich and then fucking be like, where's my drink, bitch? Come on. Give me my fucking wood alcohol and my antifreeze. Chop, chop, motherfucker. My God. Fucking legend. I'm a badass. Seriously. I know that technically this is probably... The moral of this is, one, don't murder, and two, don't be a raging alcoholic. But he's a fucking hero. I'm obsessed with this dude. 
I mean, if you can survive like Fuck 20 yeah. murder attempts, you are fucking killing it in my book. I mean, yeah. I don't yeah. even think Rasputin had that many murder I don't murder think so either. No. Yeah. I'm obsessed. Michael Malloy, wherever you are, we tip our hat to Yeah. You. Here's to you. Here's to you. I'm I hope your sardine sandwiches are not rotten. <laughs> or if you're into it, then I hope they are. Whatever does, whatever floats your boat, man. <laughs> little, little oyster and some alcohol for you. No big deal. Yeah. Live your dreams. Oh. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. This was an especially fun episode. I enjoyed this. I, I liked having a theme. Yeah. Yeah. I love a theme. Themes on themes, baby. There you it. go. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Please be sure to tell us your, write in your personal stories. We want to hear, if you have a fucking Banshee story, oh my Please. fucking God. Now I need we to need hear one. All of it. That supersedes my UFO story need at this point. So. We also need a UFO story for Amy though. But like, I mean, if you have one, I'm not going to say no. Of course, but we need a Banshee story. Ireland. Yes. You're our top listeners We're outside of the United States. We're kind of looking at you on this one. Like, no pressure, but like a little pressure. No pressure, but some pressure. Yeah. Write in those stories. You can email us at another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. You can find our show on Instagram at another fucking horror podcast. You can find me at Pinup Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot, period, Amy. Guys. We're so fucking obsessed with you. Obsessed. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.